This is the Pathways Podcast. This podcast exists to help you find completeness in Jesus. I want to thank you for listening to the Pathways Podcast. This podcast exists to help you find completeness in Jesus. My name is Scott Insminger, one of the hosts of the Pathways Podcast. And with me today is someone sharing another story from the 70 years of Christ Church. And this person hasn't been at Christ Church for 70 years, but was here for part of it. So with me today is Lynn Ragsdale. Lynn, thank you so much for doing this today. Thanks for inviting Scott, and thanks for clarifying that I wasn't here for all 70 years. Yeah, just wanted to, just wanted to, I'm just helpful that way. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, Lynn, uh, I asked you this before we started, but um, Alan Stanley, our CFO, has you from being here from June of 1998 to September of 2008. Correct. So, and the church grew from 900, which kind of happened from that 125, 900 under yeah. Kent, and it went from 900 to 1800 in your 10 years here at yeah. Christ Church. So, as we get started with this, would just love for you to tell a little bit about the first time that you ever heard of Christ Church. Well, it was a, it was a bittersweet story. Um, our daughter, who was almost 20 years old, was killed in an automobile accident when we lived in Crown Point, Indiana. We'd done uh, a ministry there, had a new church plant since 1982, I think. And uh, that was in 1995 that she died, and she was on her way to church. The accident occurred, oh, probably an eighth of a mile from the church building on the only road to get to the church. That being said, it was a struggle. We had to pass that place in the road every single day, multiple times a day. And uh, we were recovering. The church was very loving, and uh, they they did a great job, but it was very difficult. And we just began to pray. If we need a change of scenery to move on to the next level in our own family, we asked for God to show us that. Well, it wasn't uh, much after those prayers began on our behalf that Kevin Greer showed up in Northwest Indiana from, he was working for CIY and they do, they were having these rallies in various places in the country during the school year. And Kevin happens to be first cousin to Betsy. And they'd not been together for many years. Uh, they lived in a, kind of opposite parts of the country, but they were still close. Kevin began to talk about the church he went to and said, hey, we, we don't have a preacher. Would you be interested in coming to a place called Orinogo and just looking at it? Well, Crown Point was a booming suburb of the Chicagoland area just across the line in Indiana. And we we started the church. We were the only preacher they'd ever had. It had been, you know, many, many years. And so we said, what we'll do is we'll just make a visit. Well, the funny thing, Scott, was that Kevin began talking about the church. This was a suburban church. It had building codes. It had all kinds of things. We had nice paved parking, lights, all of that on the building that we had built. And Kevin was talking about the fact that they park in the grass and the gravel and they have to have trucks ready to pull people out of getting stuck in the mud almost every Sunday because they didn't have paved parking or lights. And I'm thinking, okay, I've been teaching church growth and I've been helping church planters and you're telling me this church is blowing it up and you have to have trucks to pull people out and you're laughing about that. And so I, I couldn't wait to get down here and just see it. Well, I did. I came down, Betsy and I, and, and uh, met people. It was a unique circumstance. I mean, it was, it was different. It was water and oil. It was not anything like where I was. But at the same time, it really was. I, I sensed a spiritual seed. There was something going on that overcame the facility, overcame the location out in the middle of absolutely nowhere. We went home calling it Aura Nowhere. 
Hmm. And yet God was doing something. It intrigued us. Do you think you would have even entertained it if, uh, if your daughter hadn't passed away? I don't think so. We've often reflected on that, and that was home. That's where we had raised our family. That was, uh, you know, it's like, I don't know. But what we did, we went home, and, and the elders sensed that I was really struggling to get over, get through, get on to, to whatever needed to happen. And uh, so the elders here met with me. We came back down. I don't remember the timetable, but shortly thereafter, met with the elders. And we agreed that they would pray for 30 days and not call us, not talk to us, just pray for 30 days. God, show us what to do. I went home and told the elders at then Town and Country Christian Church and that the dynamic there was that I'm guessing now, but probably half of the elders there I had baptized because being a new church, people come in. And so there was a there was a connection there was pretty deep. And I said, uh, something within me is not working right now with this grief, getting over it. It's, it's been almost three years and it's still hard. I said, so I want you to pray for 30 days. These elders are praying for 30 days. I'm not shopping myself out across the country trying to find places to send resumes. I'm not even interested in that. But I want you to pray 30 days. And I, I threw this in. I still remember the meeting. I said, would you do me a favor and not even talk to each other about it? You're not going to talk to me for 30 days. I don't want you talking to each other for 30 days. I just want you praying for 30 days. Then we'll come back together and see what God's saying. So that did occur. I'll never forget this. And that's been that long ago. And I still, it's as fresh as if it just happened. I'm walking into that room that night. And I could tell by the looks on their faces that they all had sensed from the Lord the same thing that uh, I heard a guy speak one time. He said, well, if you're going to a church and you've got people praying on one side and then the other said, they're both going to hear God say what they want him to say. And so I kind of expected that, that the elders there would say, well, God told us you should stay here. And the elders in Orinoga say, well, God told us you should come here. And that would leave it. Right. <laughs> so I walked into that room and these men that were as dear, maybe more dear than family members said, God released you. Through us. Hmm. So I went home and told Betsy, I said, I, I don't know what happened, but I, but we're probably going to be unemployed here pretty quick. And, but I was really happy about it. these men were, they were in tears saying that, hmm. but they knew it. And so that's kind of the spiritual journey behind that call that it wasn't this traditional mail-in resumes and just didn't happen that way. Right. Did um, And so did you say that, did you make one visit down to uh, Christ Church, Oregon, or did you make two visits? I think, and Betsy and I were trying to remember that. I think there were two. Yeah, so, you, But on the second visit was when you asked them to pray for 30 yes. days and you asked the other the elders. The first visit was when I just had to see what Kevin was talking about. Right, yep. You yeah. just wanted to see the chaos, right? Yeah, and it was. Yeah. <laughs> it was. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, um, that, that's just, I mean, that's just very, very powerful. So, um to have two different groups praying for you that way, but also we never met each other, didn't know each other. Right. Right. And, um, with the church, uh, you know, being a church that was definitely growing, uh, down here, um, did you feel like, like, was there any part of this job that intimidated you or anything like that? Or, 
Somebody, it's probably my son with his uh, a gift of uh, sarcasm <laughs> that uh, told me this once, but he said, I, we were talking about that years later, and he asked me kind of the same question. And I said, I don't think I was smart enough to be intimidated. All I knew was that everything going on here was done like a little country church in this blown up way, and it made no sense. And that we structured everything so well in the city and fought for growth, and it was just happening here. So I had this idea that if you just put a little bit more structure to it and do some things, then it, it's going to keep growing. Right. And so really that's what I did. I, I kind of addressed it from there's nothing that really needs changed. It just needs enhanced. Right. And I think that's a mistake a lot of guys make when they go into something that's working. Well, what changes can I make? Well, that's usually going to blow up on them. Right, because you're trying to keep the momentum that's going down here. Yeah, there was great momentum. Yeah, so, yeah, it was definitely, the machine was running. There's yes. no doubt about that. Was, in my opinion, it was going to hit a wall. Right. Because the structure, not just of the buildings, but the entire church structure was still right. country, small church, and it was going to reach a point uh, where the cap was hit. Yeah. And so I just needed to figure out a way to do that. And I was really busy doing that, and I think I was too busy to be intimidated, really, and then I got the question, well, you've got Bible college administration and professors here from Ozark. Does that, I was asked this, does that intimidate you? And it, it didn't until they asked me the question because it didn't even dawn on me. I didn't go to Ozark. I used to laugh and say the only time I ever was at Ozark was when I was traveling from Lincoln to Ozark to play basketball. And by the way, we won every time. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know who they were. I mean, I knew they weren't my professors. Right. And so it didn't intimidate. I think that was a good thing. Yeah. Christchurch seemed to, and your own background, and the youth ministers we'd hired, they came from all sorts of college backgrounds. Right. And the leadership here had that as a really solid, I don't know if it was an intentional philosophy, but it worked. Other churches in the area seemed to be very Ozarkian. They wouldn't touch anybody that didn't come from Ozark. And we had guys from almost every Bible college known to man. Yeah. And I think that was good for us. Yeah, absolutely. So getting ready to come down here, uh, um, do you remember the conversation with, you know, with your kids about about making this move? Because were they aware that you can, like the, the reason why you came down the first time? They, they were, and uh, we talked pretty openly about it. Now, at the time, Chad was at Lincoln in Bible college. So he graduated. Um, he, he tried to be this, this super adult and say, you guys do what you're going to do because I don't live there anymore. Now, later on, I think he would admit that when a family moves, when you're a freshman in Bible college, it takes away, I don't even have a home to go back to. Right. So that was a little more traumatic for him than he would have thought then. Right. He did great with it, but he was not in the picture because that was what he wanted to do. Then uh, Scott was going to be, uh, we moved in June and he was, um, made the decision rather, he was going to be a sophomore in high school. Very difficult for him. We made a commitment to the kids that we wouldn't move while they're in school ever. And we didn't. Scott was the exception. And so we really wanted to work. He didn't like it. He came kicking and screaming. Nurley was just ready to enter kindergarten. So it was a perfect time for her. And so it, that, that really worked well. But with Scott, um, the first week he's here, Dan Mitchell was the youth minister, had a very vibrant youth group. And the first week we're here, he goes to youth group, and there's like more kids than he'd ever seen. And it was a good experience. And that very first 
night, Scott, he lays eyes on this girl named Laura Rose. And I think he fell in love instantly. Now, she was dating somebody else, but he just waited his turn, I think. <laughs> and there's a lot of funny stories about that. But uh, he then, um, the next first week we were here, it was time for football camp at Webb City High School. We wanted to play football. He did. First year he's there, they win a state championship. I mean, he, he just was instantly doing things that he would not have been able to do in a big city. And he, he just, it was... And he ended up marrying that young girl named Laura Rose, obviously. And so that that God really provided a great support structure for him, a great youth group that made that kicking and screaming moving here go away really fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm sure that that's our, our kids. Um, Caleb was um, hadn't started kindergarten yet when we moved here, and right. Shelby was a month old, so— you know, but and we had decided we just felt like we wanted we wanted them to be able to have an experience yeah. of where they lived somewhere, went to school together, and that's got to be hard to have to move them. But. Well, and one of the things with Scott, the school systems there, the area is growing very fast and not necessarily in the best of ways, and we weren't satisfied with the experience he was having in in high school there. Some of the groups, some of the it was just a big city, mm-hmm. and so. We, Betsy and I just had to kind of say, this is best for you, Scott, and do it and not let him have a vote in that really. Right. Yeah. And it's one of those times it turned out that we were right. Yeah. So, so so you get here, um, you get, you get settled and you get, you get moved in here and you're starting to, uh, do you know, do you remember anything about like what some of the, like what were the first couple of years like when you, after you got here? Well, you're testing an old guy's memory, but some of the images were the laid-back nature that the leadership functioned with. They had, um, before I got here, and this was probably in the ministry of Kent, they had abolished the traditional church board, and they just had people serving. Had ministries all over the place, and they just did what they did without the minutia of board votes and Robert's rules. And so— I was at board meetings, quote, with elders only, and there was no real structure to the thing except they accomplished an unbelievable amount of stuff. And it was all under shepherding. It was all under the guardrails of budgeting. They would make decisions uh, when more building space was needed, and they were always transparent with the church, but they didn't say, you know, get ready, we're going to have a vote. And they had only a couple of things they voted on. One was the hiring of a senior minister, and I think the other one was going into debt, and that may be still exactly the way it is. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's not many. It's only like it's it's just a few things. It's senior minister. Yeah, affirmation of elders. Right. Yes, that was that too. Uh, going into debt. Yeah, and uh, I think maybe if you maybe change the bylaws, I guess that would be a vote probably. And then the other one was uh, uh, acquiring land. Acquiring, okay. Yep. A major capital purchase. Yep. Yep. Well, so what they did was, and I was kind of shocked. I thought, this is going to blow up, guys, because they'd sit around in a meeting in a circle around chairs and decide that they're going to spend a great amount of money and we need to build a youth center, need to build a this or that. And then they'd announce it to the church, and I didn't know how that was going to work. And I still remember the first time, and the church literally stood up and cheered. Hmm. It was like, that's what leadership does. So whether they knew they were doing it or not, 
they were displaying what all the books write about, that leadership is earned and respected because they actually lead. And they were leading and they were respected for it. Yeah. I I, I still, uh, so when you got here, um, the area that is now the offices at Christ Church, right. was that the facility that you were in when you got the here? The timing was really good. And that plays into actually when I left. But um, the Easter of the year we came was the first Sunday in what is now the Children's Center was the 700-plus seat auditorium that opened up Easter that year. So my first visit here was in the part that's now the offices. Okay. By the time I was hired and moved here, that was now in that, what, the middle area, the children's area. Okay, so they so they built that without a senior minister. Yes, yes. Because who, who does that? Well, that's one of the things I'm thinking— Everything that you might put in a book, they did wrong. Right. And I'm just fascinated by that. Say, okay, I got to figure out what's in this soup because there's some leadership component here. And none of those men, the joke among them was that they knew alone they were all a little bit quirky and together they were a powerful force. And they demonstrated that. They would come to consensus. I don't remember having a vote ever. They would come to consensus no matter how long it took, we're going to talk about this till we figure it out. And then they're all going to go, yay, God, let's do it. And that's how they did things. Okay. So when you got here, they had just, I mean, so that was being built. And then, yes. so when you started preaching here. My first Sunday here was in that room. Was in that room. And so then fast forward all the years later, um, I've been asked several times that, you know, when I come here and of course when I left, it was to be on the mission field. But uh, when you're back, do you... Is there anything in you that says, boy, that you should be on that stage? And I honestly can say not even once. Hmm. Now, I've preached there. I've been on that stage, but that it was not mine. And I still remember the day when they started talking about that building. I did not start talking about that building. The leader started talking about that building. And I instantly had this knowledge. That's not for me. Um. I, my my clock was ticking. I knew that, you know, in mid-50s, if I'm going to go do this mission thing 8,000 miles away in a mountainous region of the Philippines, travel's tough. I cannot wait till I'm 65 or 70 to decide I'm going to do that. Right, because when you, um, one of the things that I, re, I remember is, is that um, elders' meetings were definitely different then, and they were with staff because the staff wasn't as yeah. large right. as it is today and things like that. But they had basically commissioned us or told us, come up with a plan of how the church would grow to 2,000. Right. And so we wrote, we come up with this plan of how yeah. we would do it and all those things. And remember those meetings when we had no clue? Yeah. And we were the, just shooting in the dark. The only, the only thing that we did we, we when we got to 2,000, that was the only thing on the board yeah. that we did because it did mean, and I want to back up here in a minute, but it did mean it was a different senior minister. It was another yeah. building being built. Like it, it was, yeah, it was just things that well, did not. In my reasoning, and I hope it was spirit led, the things that had transpired when I came needed to transpire again mm -hmm. so that when I went up on that stage to preach, that was a, it was a start of a lot of things. I knew that there needed, I could have selfishly, I think, said, I'm, I want to get that building done. 
then I can pass this off. That didn't need to belong to me. I needed to be gone so the new guy got the same thrill I got as being the first guy in that building. And I didn't have any <clears throat> ego wrapped up in it. I didn't have, God just did that. He showed me that it was time. I was perfectly content with that. And there was all kinds of ideas out there then. Do we need a handoff? Do we need a baton? Do we need you to have a guy working with you? Those thoughts didn't even come up because there's nothing wrong with doing that. Other guys do it great. I didn't want to do that. Right. Well, you were, so, because it was a year between you and, and you know, and Mark. And it was a year between Kent and me. Right. And <clears throat> um, so I was actually at the camp, doing the camp church camp in Colorado. Right. And Kenny Ansley was an elder and staff at that time. Right. Came out and then they met with some of our Christchurch staff out there. And then they met at the same time, basically the same time back here and read the letter that you had written to tell us that you were going to be resigning right. as senior minister. And one of the things that you wrote in there, and I can still rem, rem, I can still remember where I was sitting. Your memory's better than mine. You know, so. where, but one of the things that you said in there was, is that you thought that you had now become the lid. Mm-hmm. Why, like, why, like, why do you think you, one, of, one of the things that came to me was this, that um, I don't know if I'm a small town guy or not. I don't know. I think that's a cliche. But I think personality wise, I want to know everybody. I want to, you know, I want to know their birthdays. I want to, you know, I want to be that guy that gets a call when when their children get engaged. I, You know, that is real. And you can call it whatever you want, Scott. But that's small church. That's that's family thinking. Well, this thing had outgrown that to where I never got to the point that when I was in town and somebody spoke to me at Walmart or a football game, I knew I was supposed to know them. They knew me. And other preachers of large churches had said, you will get to a point where everybody knows you, but you know very few people. Even to say that, I didn't like it. So it had reached that point where I knew I was going to have to really embrace that and to lead to the next level it's going to have to be that. So one of the things that the elders knew when I left was the next guy cannot be a clone of me, cannot have a personality that is, if you're going to do a profile, a disc, or one of those, cannot be me. Because you, at a certain point, you can't be that guy that I envisioned the pastor being. And it was becoming a stress on me. I was really, really struggling with, I'm feeling bad that I can't know everybody. And I don't think they cared near as much as I cared. Right. And that's what I think it was. Yeah. Do you, um, one of the things that Kent Williams uh, talked about on the uh, on the phone with me when we asked him to do this was, is he just, he felt like, uh, he said something about like he, the church grew so fast when he first got here that he just didn't, it was a lot of country people in a country yeah. church trying to figure this out. And he felt like you brought structured to it. Do you feel like being a church planner yeah. kind of helped prepare you for doing this? I think so, Scott, because in in very many respects, it was a new church plant in an old shell hmm. here. And there's a lot of things I saw immediately when I came, wow, you know, this thing is blowing up in a wonderful way, and they're not doing some of these strategically important things. And I knew how to add some of that to it. And I think that is really true. And then Kent, 
I'm sure you talked about this to him, but he was a hometown boy. Right. I mean, he grew up in Webb City, graduated from school in Webb City, and family in the area, family in the church. And so he had some of those built-in structures that I didn't have. So I could add some things to it from an objective outside view that even he couldn't do. Yeah. What was some of the hardest things of that 10 years of of not only leading the church, but also you're, you're putting structure to it? Yeah. What were some things that— that you just kind of saw as challenges? To say hard, I don't know if I would say that because I always enjoy a challenge. I just love it. Don't don't show me something that has absolutely everything working well and then tell me not to mess with it. That's just going to be boring. Now, change, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to break something that was working, but I always wanted to look for how do I, and I, I lived by the next level mentality. What is the next level without trashing the level you're on? So we did that. My biggest challenge was hiring staff. Always was. Um, I remember when Tony Salva came to me when I first came and he said, my goal is to be the world's oldest children's minister. But Tony had a certain charisma about him that he could be the Pied Piper and everybody just follow him. He had a leadership capacity that was tremendous. So it wasn't very far into the thing. He comes back in my office and he said, I really feel like I need to go and do church planning as a lead uh, pastor. I knew that about him. And I said, Tony, you're doing something to me right now. How in the world am I going to replace you as a children's minister? At the same time, I love church planning. It's what I've been doing. And you're the guy I would snatch to do that in a heartbeat. So we're going to help you get there. And this church helped in a good way, get him in Pennsylvania, out east and doing a lot of that. He's now doing a great job at leading church planning organizations. It was the right move. But um, that came all the time here. Guys, we'd hire, we'd try to almost sneak them in under the radar before other places found them. And then sure as the world, they're going to leave. And I was always looking for staff. It was just never a day I wasn't looking for the next staff. Yeah. I mean, because that, that is the thing to where um, whenever people ask me something about Christchurch, you know, one of the things I tell them is, is that um, you have no choice because of the growth to always know the numbers because you're trying to yeah. figure out where you can put people. Right. And also um, being a church that is really doing a lot of great things for the kingdom, everybody is kind of like when you win the Super Bowl, everybody yeah. wants to get those free agents off of that yes. team. So in, you know, Christ Church was never afraid to hire young. Right. So. And then our challenge was that being in Southwest Missouri, the economic climate was so good. Right. That did our pay scale match that if a guy trying to get stolen to California or New York? Absolutely not. And so it was my job as the dad to tell these guys, I know they're coming after you, but you do need to know that you can take that raise and lose money if you want to go to L.A. And it was just always that pull of these young guys. They got their feet wet here. Now people are coming after them. And that's a pretty heady thing. Right, And so I, we just had to work on that always and then encourage them when it did happen, help them do it well. Right. And one of my great phrases to them is, they're never going to remember anything you did here in ministry, but they'll remember how you left. Absolutely. So leave well. Absolutely. And I think they did. Yeah. Yeah. I, remember. I remember when we hired you, 
<laughs> coming to Indiana in a minivan. <laughs> you remember that night? I do remember was that. Was it the restaurant was full or something? We all run out and you and your dear wife jumped in the back of our minivan and it didn't have seats. Yeah, you pulled yeah, you pulled up at the hotel there or was something. And we had okay. to go move, go had to go somewhere else or something. Yeah. Or what it was. And Kim was pregnant. Yes. Yeah. And you guys got in the back of the minivan. So for a second, and then Scott Boudreaux and them jumped in the back of it because they realized that Kim was <laughs> we just put a child. Pregnant, so yeah, we just put a pregnant woman in the back yeah. of a minivan. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you came anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it was the thing, too, to where, um, you know, coming from the situation uh, that we're in in Indiana uh, of a fast-growing church um, and being around a lot of uh, churches over 1,000 to 1,500, even though I'd not been on staff of a church this size, it it didn't intimidate because I had already seen it. Yeah. That was the thing to where I kind of looked at it and went like, I know how to do this, but— but the thing, though, I just remember, though, was was the the uh, the care and the compassion that um, you know that even that you and Betsy both even showed Kim, you know, of that because when we moved here, uh, I came down, met with staff, met with elders, went on a staff retreat with y'all to a lake house, That's right? Um, but uh, Kim had had a couple issues with the pregnancy; doctors would not let her travel, right? So when she actually moved here was basically the first time she saw the house that we had bought. Her dad and I came yeah. down here. And we didn't buy one. We did the same thing. We thought we had a house secure when we were moving. Turns out it wasn't. And we get a call, said that didn't work. And then Dan McGrew had a rental house. And he said, I got a rental house if you want to move into it sight unseen. I said, okay. And so neither one of us had seen the house we moved into until the truck rolled in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It just kind of it was like we got there the day before the house before we moved into it. Yep. Everything fit. Yep. yep. So it was like, thank you, Lord. Amen. So, but um, so, what would be some victories that you look at and you go, like, I got to experience this, or I love this part of it? What were some things that you would just talk about? Would be wow. some victories. There's so many that that uh, people would think. That right now I would say, wow, going from what was the number, 900 to 1,800. Mm-hmm. And uh, since this is a podcast and I can't argue with Alan, why don't we just say from 100 to 3,000? Mm-hmm. And that makes it sound better. But because, <laughs> you know, people would really think, well, he's going to talk about numbers, those victories. I didn't know what they were until you told me a while ago. Right. Uh, that never was. I mean, they're important because they represent growth, and that's important. But I think relationships— that I was able to develop with staff and with elders, recognizing that when a church gets to a certain level, the senior minister's responsibility is to really invest in that top-tier leadership, the shepherds and the staff. And I feel a, a lot of pride in where those guys have gone, what they've done, the accomplishments, guys like you that are still here, others who have come on and, and joined the team from the ranks of the church that I met when they weren't even going to church, and now they're on staff. Mm-hmm. It's those kind of personal stories that represent to me the greatest victories. And uh, the numbers, that's great. God did that. But my investment in people was what I really count as precious. Any people come to mind when you look back at your 10 years at Christ Church and go, it was, you know, remember them getting baptized or remember seeing lots of growth in their life? Any people that just kind of come to mind? Well, yeah. And I, you know, he wouldn't mind if I say this, but he's on staff now. And that's Robert Stevens. Yeah. 
And people that know Robert now might say, well, that, you know, he's, he's a little unhinged. Uh, they have no idea how unhinged he might have been when we first <laughs> met. He's a dear friend, of course. But I met he and Tammy, and they weren't even regular in church. And they had some issues. Robert did. And I first met them up close and personal when one of their children had fallen and, and cracked their noggin, and they were in the hospital. And then we just developed that relationship. And then you think of key points along the road. Robert then had a cleaning business. Then he gave that up so we could hire him. We still remember that. That was on 9-11 when the, when the towers were hit. We were having a meeting to hire Robert. And that should have told us everything we needed to know right there. But we hired him anyway. And Robert is a, is a, a story a minute, but he comes on in that capacity. And then he got a spark for ministry. And he told this story that I didn't realize. That one night, the red light on the sewage system was flashing. It was a Saturday night. If anything bad happens, it's a Saturday night. Yep. And that meant that the thing was broken. We would not be able to have church the next morning because no water could run. We couldn't do anything. And so we had to we had to pump. We had to figure out a way to bypass a pump or something, get that lowered so we could at least make it through Sunday morning. So at midnight, Saturday night into Sunday morning, I'm in hip waders. Robert is. We're standing in the sewage pit with a pump, pumping that out so they get low enough the warning light would go off. And I didn't think anything about it. It's like, if we're going to have church tomorrow, we got to do this. Robert had mentioned later, he said, that was an inspiration to me. And I, I laughed and said, well, I'm glad it was to you. Really, I wasn't <laughs> all that inspired. But he said, I never thought a senior minister would get in a sewage pit just so they could have church and help the maintenance guy. And I didn't even give that thought. I, To be honest, I kind of like that kind of stuff. There's something that doesn't include counseling. Or anything. I'm, I'm just going to go pump a pet. Yeah. And so, but he reflected on that. Now Robert's in ministry. Mm-hmm. And he reflects back on that moment when he saw somebody willing to do that. And I thought nothing of it. I'm glad that God prompted me to do that. But those are the kind of stories I like more than saying, you know, let's put this in print. Then it went from whatever to whatever. That's whenever I was uh, visiting out here and you know, we were praying through whether or not, um, I was a right fit for Christchurch and, and vice versa on, on, on that. I asked Caleb Miller, I said, uh, Caleb Miller was the worship minister at that time. I said, what is one consistent thing about Lynn? And he said, if you need something, he's always going to answer the phone and you never feel like he'll, he'll make you feel like you're never an inconvenience. Mm. And uh, he said, you can call him at three o'clock in the morning. He'll go, hello, and, <laughs> and sound awake, you know, so you don't... Even though That's, it's yeah. it's inconvenient, so that was one of the things. You that, need to tell Caleb. I don't know if he did anything at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. but <that's>, <laughs> well, that was the example he gave. Yeah, that's so. cool. Yeah, but um, so because to me, Scott, that that does sum it up. Really, I think that I'm wound in a way that that thrives off of relationships, which also answers the question you asked earlier. Why did I think I was at my lid here? Because the bigger it became, I couldn't have that many relationships. Right. Right, and that makes and that makes a lot of sense uh, because that definitely um, it is definitely a you know a, a mindset because I remember years ago being at some uh, church conferences and it was you know it was ministers that were at big churches and they were talking about how lonely it was mm-hmm. in a big church at times and I was going 
there's thousands of people. Like how, yeah. how is that lonely? And then you, when you get here and you kind of yeah. see that, you could see how it would be very easy for it to become that way. Yeah. And I think that's where the elders here were very wise in hiring Mark because they knew they took my advice seriously. And Peter was an elder at the time who actually taught a lot of this stuff at Ozark. But um, they took it seriously when I said, don't go out and find somebody with my personality because it'll, you, it's a built-in lid. You got to find some. And Mark has that personality that he could do what he does for ten thousand people as easy as as two or three thousand people because a different personality doesn't thrive off of the relational part of it as much as all the other things he does really well. Right. And so it it just was the perfect segue from that because they did a good job listening. I think. Yeah. About time, huh? Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> uh, anything else that you would say that you learned about leadership while here? Every day there was a new leadership thing to learn, and I learned that uh, probably most of the leadership books that you read um, are pretty nice on your shelf but probably don't have a whole lot of good application. I think the one thing I learned was the elders here were completely transparent with each other in their personal lives, as well as their decision-making process. So I learned through them and through staff that don't have hidden agendas. I think if there's going to be one leadership principle that I would take through life that I developed while here, it was that. If you have a hidden agenda, if you have something that's an angst that's going to be a problem, it's going to be like a pebble in your shoe doesn't feel like much until you walk on it a while. Then it becomes bigger than life. Get them out in the open. And they've always done that really well here. When I asked you about the elders before I came, um, you said, because I, I can still remember this, I just remember you saying, there's no meeting after the meeting. Right. I remember laughing. Ann Witherspoon and uh, Pam Wirt and Charlotte McGrew was uh, kind of a spokesman for this. <clears throat> before I came, there was this really tiny group of elders and they would have these sidebar meetings all the time, normally at the 50 yard line at the Webb City football game. And then they made the decision before, well, as Walt Kent was here, they needed to double the number of elders. And it was Charlotte and Ann and Pam that told their husbands, and those guys were part of that original group, told their husbands, you can't have these meetings at the football game anymore. And mm -hmm. You've got to now bring them all in and you've got to let them. And that was a huge change for the church and for their leadership because now it couldn't be the three or four of them at the time. There was a bigger group and they, and they did it, but it was the wives that right. they loved to tell the story. We told them you can't talk about the church at halftime anymore. Right. Because it was a, because when a church begins to grow or any, or any organization begins to grow the way that you've always done it, some of those things have to shift yep. uh, of some of the things you're trying to keep part of what made it, that, yeah. but you're having to... And that's a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, just looking back through this, and we talked about this before, but any like any other favorite moments you look back at and you just... Well, I remember when I left. That You say, well, favorite moment. I don't know if leaving is a favorite moment, but I got the same response from my small group that I got from staff. And the, it was... Uh, some guys, I guess I could take it wrong, but when I said what we were going to do, we're, we're going to leave. I'm going to be ahead of that ministry in the Philippines. We'll be spending a lot of time there and traveling this country as well. And 
they didn't even act upset, really. They just had one question. Yeah, but you're still going to live here, right? You're still going to be in our small group, right? And, of course, some of the staff said, you're still going to live down the road and have the same lock on your on your uh, tool shop. Right. So we can come get tools. <laughs> so it was like, okay, is anybody going to say we're going to miss your unbelievably great preaching? We're going to miss your – they didn't come up. But I take that as a high point because it was about the relationship for me anyway. And we were able to move to another ministry and still have this as home base. This place became that. Right. You had been been a year between you and between you and Mark. Uh, Mark Moore preached during that time, um, but you had you were very clear on when when Mark Christian got here because you would pop in. You and Betsy would yeah. still pop into services here at times even right. during that time. But you were very clear on that. In order to support Mark well, we would not be seeing you. Right. Well, what was the thought process kind of behind that? Well, I didn't know Mark, and I was privileged to get to meet him. And I don't remember how that worked, but before he was hired, it was just a casual greeting. And I just knew that I didn't mind uh, other preachers being around when I was the preacher, but I just heard so many horror stories. And I just didn't, just didn't want that. Turns out— that Mark and Heather were in our small group. Mm. So we were around for a lot more Sunday afternoon small group time than we were Sunday morning because I was traveling, speaking in places. But I'd be back home. So we had a great experience in that small group with them. And that was kind of a, when you look at it on the surface, that's odd. So the last preacher and his wife are in the small group with the new preacher and their wife and several other couples. But it seemed very natural. It, it was fine. And I love Mark and Mark's personality being different. Mine, he would call me sometimes when he had to go someplace where there's a big crowd and he would say, would you work the room? Cause I really don't want to. Mm. And he called me the mayor before I was the mayor. Right. And so, you know, it just kind of, it was a nice compliment, a nice blend. And so that was really, I just didn't want to be that guy that people would feel obligated to come up to and say, Hey, we really love Mark, but he's not you. Those those statements just irritate me. I don't. I didn't want to put myself in the place to hear them. I didn't want to put Mark in the place to know that people might be saying it. Yeah. As we uh, end this time together of of just talking through this um, and just different stories and it being you know seventy years of Christ Church mm-hmm. and you know you were here uh, for ten years of that you yeah. know and uh, leaving a legacy. Just one or two words. What would how would you describe those ten those ten years? Um, in a positive way, tumultuous. That word kind of rings with negativity, but it's not. I really enjoyed activity, something new every day, some new challenge that we're just going to fix. Is it? I love that. There was never a time in those ten years I say, "Well, we're done. We finished that." Because it was always like, you better rejoice over lunch because by the afternoon, there's going to be something new to do. And I loved that. And I think that that was what I consider. One of the things that is kind of funny is this church was born the same year I was. Hmm. And I think it's weathered the time better than I have. But uh, between Kent, me, and Mark, that represents pushing uh, 35 or 40 years of that 70 in in the preaching. Absolutely. What did watching the elders through those 10 years, what did that, what did they teach you? I used the word earlier, transparency, but I still remember the night that we had lots of stuff on the table that just needed to be discussed. 
but one of the elders was having an issue personally. And the rest of the elders, just before the, the meeting, we never knew when the meeting really started. And we only knew it was really over when somebody said they had to leave. Mm. It was just kind of unorthodox. And that night, they ended up spending, I don't know how long it was, let's say an hour or two, maybe more, just really encouraging and praying over that elder. And the rest of the church business could kind of go hang that night. It wasn't going to be important. They cared for their fellow shepherd that night, and they loved him well. Hmm. And I think that it was like this euphoric moment to me. He said, they would do that for me. Yeah. They, they would stop the world, care for the brother, and that was a model. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's impressive. Their, their prayer life together always has impressed me. Yeah. And just blown away by that. The guys that are now elders that were not elders when I was here, that were here and just kind of grew into that. Um, I, I told Betsy one night, I said, yeah, I named a couple of them. And I said, they're in for an experience. Hmm. Because just being brought into that group will be a wonderful part of their own spiritual pilgrimage. And they will grow because they're a part of that group. What was the one thing as we end this that you'd say that you're most proud of, of those 10 years? Somebody quoted uh, George W. Bush when he left the White House and said, well, I made it for eight years without a major scandal. <laughs> and I don't think that's really not a positive way to do it. And yet at the same time, there's always that little seed. And we preachers that said, well, God was really doing something and I didn't mess it up. Yeah. And I don't know if that's very leadership-like or not, but I look back and think, well, God, at least I didn't get in your way very much. Right. You know, you made it, I mean, you left it better than you found it. Yeah. It's a way that I heard, exactly. you know, someone kind of talk about, yeah, you know. Yeah, and Kent and I became friends after the fact. Um, I didn't know Kent when I moved here. Never met him, only heard stories. His preaching was different than mine. Mine was different than Mark's. So it's not like the three have been— even the same kind of preaching. Right. When I got to know Kent, Kent um, bragging on me when he introduced me once to speak for the church that he was at then was that I took where he left and took it to the next level, which was a phrase I'd always wanted to use. And he used it in an introduction, which I, wow, thanks. He, you know, and so then I think that Mark has certainly done that again. So there was a recognition that what one man lays a block, the other man does the, the mortar and another man does the you know, finished work. I mean, there's just some re real truth to that. Yeah. Well, um, I am just uh, grateful for your leadership uh, here and um, was, was shocked, you know, when you let us know that you're going to be stepping down. Um, but also I never doubted that, um, you knew that it was what God was telling yeah. you to do. So uh, you and Betsy have always been people of prayer and never doubted that. Yeah. Well, Scott, there's one more dynamic to this church that people don't realize in Web City, that we and you were on staff at the time, that we were going to do, we're, we asked the question, where's your ministry in the church, community, and world? Mm -hmm. And we recognized as a staff that most of us didn't have much of a ministry in the community because we were so busy at the church. And I went out for that moment kind of guilt-ridden a bit and joined the Chamber of Commerce, which led me to become the president of the Chamber of Commerce, which led me to be appointed to the city council and then becoming mayor. 
And that really a Christian influence in the community started from the staff here at Christ Church of Oranoga when in those years. Yeah, I yeah, I, I remember one time that you, because you had said to me early on here, one of us is going to have to start going to like chamber events mm-hmm. and things like that. And I was like, oh, <laughs> can you do that? And I'm going to do this other. But, yeah, yeah, and you did. Yeah, so, but. See, if you'd have done it the other way around, you too could have been mayor. I could have been mayor. Well, what do you know? Yeah, But I had to move. Well, that's true. You're not necessarily living yet. <laughs> yeah, I kind of like where I live, yeah. so that's kind of a problem. But but uh can't thank you enough um, for doing this. Uh, just uh, forever grateful for you and your leadership um, and just. Um, it was and is an honor. Thank you. Well, and is, as Caleb Miller said is, you know, we've all called you at weird times yeah. and you always answer and we're always grateful for See, that. See, that was before the day of caller ID so much now. So now maybe I wouldn't. <laughs> okay. I <don't> know. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much again and even taking the time to do this. And for those listening to this podcast, if you um, know someone that could be encouraged by this, and uh, just wants to hear more of the story of what God's done uh, through the time here at Christ Church. Just love for you to let them know they can find this podcast and others of, from Christ Church Oranogo by searching Christ Church Oranogo, wherever they get podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Oranogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.